This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Well, it's good to be back, y'all. Very, very, thank you. <laughs> it feels like coming back home, you know? I don't, I, honestly, I don't think I've ever been out of church, out of Freedom Valley specifically, for a month at least since I was a young adult living in Lancaster for a brief period. I don't, it's been a long time <laughs> since that. And uh, it just, it feels like I was getting a little homesick there toward the end. of ready to come home. But I cannot say thank you enough for being a church that supports your pastor going on sabbatical. I can't tell you how many churches don't. It's insane because it's a biblical concept. But it, 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 taught me a lot. I have a feeling throughout this series, a lot of that's going to come out naturally. Resting the way that God prescribes is important and necessary, and you change in ways you never expected when you rest according to God's plan. I hope to get into some of that throughout this series, but for now, thank you. Thank you for being supportive of it. And for welcoming us back. We have a lot of new stuff going on around here. Have you noticed? A few new things. <laughs> it's hard not to notice this beautiful screen behind me. This is the culmination of the projector project that we have been talking about for the past year. No, it is not a projector, I'm aware. Okay. Uh, but it is, is, it's the replacement for that whole problem that we had. The, the plan had to change three or four different times throughout the past year of raising money for it just because of some impossible situations that we couldn't control. But uh, Chris Whitney has been, is he in here? Working on that project. Just wave at us so we can appreciate you. Thank you, Chris, for working on that. He's been diligently working on that for the past year, presenting the finance team with plan after plan of how we can fix it and, and what can be done. And so he's done a great job. Thank you to the finance team as well for working on that, making sure we get the best deal and the best everything to make it happen. So yeah, no excuses for not being able to read the scripture now, right? It's, it's clear. Uh, and the other big, crazy, awesome new thing is the cafe. Have you guys seen the cafe project? Holy cannoli. It's beautiful. It's not quite done, but it's almost there. Um, and this is one of those projects that sort of stuck up on us. We did not have it on our radar. But Chris Klein, is he in the room? <laughs> in the back again. Chris Klein, give him a hand. He generously, right before we went on sabbatical, he came to Aaron and I and said, I want to do the cafe. And we were like, yeah, okay. I mean, we don't have the money for it right now in the future. He's like, no, no, no. I want to pay for it. I want to do it. My, like, I want, this is a passion project of mine. And it really did become that for him. He told me this week, I just love this church. <laughs> and I just want to give in to it. Food and, and that whole entertaining hospitality. He's all into the, the events that we put on around here, like the ice cream social today and all of that very involved there. And so he just wanted to give back in a way that would serve you guys. Isn't that beautiful? So yeah, he, Tommy, 
your canon and uh, Rich Kaiser, I heard also, put so many hours. They have been working tirelessly. Their goal was to get done by the time we got back, and it's almost there. <laughs> so please appreciate them. They've been working very, very hard on all of that to bless us. And honestly, that was a project that we had planned for like 10 years now. <laughs> we wanted to move some stuff around in the cafe, make it a little bit more practical. We want to put some more kitchen stuff in the back so it's all in one place and make food. <laughs> I mean, so the early church broke bread together daily. Have you guys read that verse in Acts? They were together constantly. Food was a big thing in the early church. They, they gathered around it. They celebrated communion with each other every day. I mean, it was a daily thing, and it was important. Aaron and I always say, food is people glue. <laughs> it, it unites us. It makes us feel more like a community, and so it is important. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's an awesome passion project, and we just thank Chris Klein and the guys for that so much. So, okay, can I move on from the new stuff? There's by the way, lots of passion projects to be had around here. If you want one, <laughs> come and see me. <laughs> lots of things to give to, lots of things to do. Uh, please come and see me if you're interested. Anyway, this series. This series is a important one in my soul. Freedom Isn't Free was excellent. Did you guys enjoy all the speakers over the past month? It was excellent. And, uh, you know, I, I thanked each and every one of those speakers is just so generously speaking into us as a church, really over the past year, so many different men and women, I appreciate them so much. But it occurred to me this week that a lot of us are trying to live free. We're trying to put these freedom principles into practice, biblical principles into place in our lives, but we're still looking at things from a very practical, very down-to-earth perspective, which is not necessarily a bad thing um, until you realize that we don't only live in the physical. Uh, we are spiritual beings, eternal beings, in physical temporary bodies, right? And we need to realize that as believers, we live in both. We are both spiritual and physical. The Bible is both. Jesus was and is both. We need both. Not only do we need to master the practical principles like love your neighbor and be faithful at church and serve other people, very practical ideals that Jesus taught, but we've also got to master spiritual warfare. We've got to understand that we are in a war facing an invisible adversary who is aggressively attempting to inhibit us from experiencing life and life abundantly as God intended for us to experience. Let me say that again because I'm not sure you caught it. We are in a war facing an invisible adversary aggressively attempting to inhibit us from experiencing all that God has for us. It's... Something that I'm not even sure most believers know that they're in. And that can be dangerous. All right, sometimes, you know, we come into these series like Freedom Isn't Free and we walk out just saying, I'm going to be more free. I'm going to be more faithful. And we try to put these things on. <laughs> we fail inevitably and we think, well, I'm just not smart enough. I'm just not holy enough. I'm just not good enough. I'm just not whatever, stable enough, I don't have enough willpower. 
there must be something wrong with me. Sometimes it's not any of those reasons. It's not that you're not reaching your goal because you're not smart enough, you don't have enough willpower or whatever. It's because you're dealing with spiritual opposition that you can't see or quite understand. There's something working against you. It's not always just your fault, right? It's not always the case. I tell people all the time just to keep you grounded, keep your feet on the ground a little bit because, again, it's both physical and spiritual, right? Just because you're late getting to church this morning doesn't necessarily mean that the enemy was fighting against you. I hear people come into church a lot saying, oh, the enemy just didn't want me to get out of bed this morning. Was it the enemy or... You chose not to go to bed on time last night. (laughs) Physical or spiritual, right? Um, Sometimes it's just a nail in the road and you ran over it and you got a flat tire. Like it doesn't necessarily mean it's the enemy. Sometimes it's a physical flawed world, right? (laughs) Things happen. Sometimes we're just lazy and hit the snooze button too many times. We don't need that much help messing ourselves up. We're good at it, right? I think sometimes we blame too much on the enemy, sometimes we, he's a really handy scapegoat <laughs> to not blame things on ourselves and say, oh, the enemy's working against me. Yeah, okay. There's, it's one of two cultural, Christian culture extremes that I see. Either everything is the devil or we're almost denying his existence, right? It, it, which is just illogical, by the way. It's Unbiblical, it's unintelligent to deny the existence of a devil, of a Satan, an opposer. Okay, he, he's the snake in the garden in Genesis. He's the dragon in Revelation, and he's everywhere in between. Jesus clearly claims that there is an individual aggressively at work to kill, steal, and destroy us. It's everywhere in the Bible, but. Just because all of it isn't the devil doesn't mean some of it isn't the devil. Okay, the, the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. We, we can't allow ourselves to go too much toward either extreme because it is both. You may not be fighting him, but he is fighting you. Okay, we have to be aware of that fact in order to fight against it. This is why we need discernment. Have you heard that word before? discernment. It's, a, it's a, not just knowing what to say, but when to say it, right? Not just knowing what not to say, but when not to say it. It's understanding that there is more at work than what's on the surface. This is discernment. I heard a sermon from Pastor Darius Daniels this week that said, you need discernment as a believer, and it's something your pastor can't give you. Pastor can't give you discernment something you only get directly from the source, who is the Holy Spirit. In fact, I see lots of believers developing a bit of codependence on the pastor because they haven't developed enough time. They haven't sat with the Holy Spirit enough. They haven't been in the Word enough. They haven't asked the Holy Spirit for discernment. And so they're constantly going to their pastor like, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What what about this situation, right? I'm happy to answer questions and give advice and pray. Don't get me wrong, but the Holy Spirit gives you discernment. You don't have to rely on mine all the time. He gives it to you if you ask him. 
And we, we have to be able to d- discern the difference between good and evil. We're, we're going to go more in depth with this next week, but what I want you to, to see today is that we're, we're going to be heading into this sort of long, straight up spiritual warfare sermon series. We are going to look at the armor of God, how to put it on, how to keep it on, how to arm yourself against the enemy. But, but today, in this just sort of intro sermon, what I want you to see is that the spiritual world is real. It's real. Okay, it's real and it's complex. There are very, very real guidelines of dealing with the supernatural world that I see Christians trampling over all the time. It's real and it can be dangerous, but there is hope. So that's where we're going today. Number one, evil often looks like good. This is why we need discernment. Evil often looks like good. Satan was an absolute rock star at one point in his existence. Right? If you study him at all throughout the word, Ezekiel 28 has, and I have so many scriptures for you today, just so many scriptures, because I not only want to be telling you this stuff, I want you to see it biblically, okay? All of it's in the sermon notes if you want to read it more in depth later, because we're going we're gonna to run through it quickly. But Ezekiel 28 has some verses that are pretty clearly prophetically talking about Satan. It says in verse 12, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty, Sounds like we're not talking about Satan at this point, right? Beauty, exquisite. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. I'm not going to read them all, but because I don't even know if I can pronounce them all. Look at all those pretty stones. He was beautiful. It was a rainbow of colors, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless, blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence. And here's the twist. And you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Satan looked really good until he didn't. He was beautiful, powerful, created by the hand of God himself. So of course he was beautiful and powerful, right? There's another passage in Isaiah 14 that describes Satan as a shining star, as son of the morning, fallen from heaven because he said to himself that he would ascend to heaven and set his throne above God's stars. He is great. He is powerful. He is beautiful. He can be. But he is a creation of God, and therefore he doesn't come close to the creator. He's not that great. He's not that powerful. He's not that beautiful, right? Doesn't touch the creator himself because he is a creation. Evil can look a whole lot like good, though. And that's what I want you to grasp out of this when you're not prepared for it to. As believers, we have to be armed with the knowledge that evil can look like good. This is why we need discernment from the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, right? We have John 10, 10, right? Can you put that up? Wherever the devil is, that is what he's trying to do. Jesus said, 
only to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his goal. Kill us, steal from us, and destroy us. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Satan has only three objectives. Say them with me. Kill, steal, destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. I, I've gone through periods where I have sort of drilled this into my kid's head. It's important to teach as a parent. I used to, when I was a kid's pastor, teach this to my junior high students, especially around October. Kids like to pull out the Ouija boards and experiment, and right? <laughs> Satan has only three objectives. If you're getting information from a source other than God, there are only three objectives. Kill, steal, destroy. He is a thief. He wanted to steal God's throne, and because he can't, he wants to steal God's prized possessions created in his image. That is us, right? We are fighting a very real enemy with a very real objective. He has goals. He's organized. Killing, stealing, and destroying. He may come looking really good at first, but these are his only goals, okay? Jesus said, only goals. He does not give life like God, giving rich and satisfying life. He doesn't add to your life. He doesn't bless or encourage or seek to understand or heal. Kill, steal, destroy. Those are the objectives. You cannot begin your spiritual journey without being aware of the existence of a realm that cannot be accessed by your five senses. Many baby believers get knocked off track because we don't prepare them for that opposition. Aaron and I were sitting with a young believer once who had prayed and prayed and prayed and she got a job that she was desperately hoping for and praying for. And she said, being a Christian is awesome. <laughs> and we were like, hang on now. <laughs> right? Like, yes, you're right. It is. God answers prayers. And it is amazing when he gives you the desires of your heart. But you will face opposition. Right? Be prepared for that now. Because yes, today is the day to celebrate. And we're not taking that from you. But there may be opposition in the future. Later on down the road, it was probably a year later, she came to us and she said, I'm actually really glad you had that talk with me because I'm facing that opposition now and I don't think I would have been ready for it if you hadn't prepared me. Older believers are just as susceptible, by the way, because pride weasels in at some point. We get a little success under our belt and we start to think it's us. I'm the success, right? Pride weasels its way in and we forget that we have to arm ourselves. We forget how serious this can be. Ephesians 6, 12. And we're going to spend the majority of this series in Ephesians 6. But today, I'm just, I think I'm just reading verse 12. There's a lot of scripture. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers that work in this dark world and against the evil spirits in heavenly places. Leave that verse up for just a moment. Does it say we're fighting against a flesh and blood enemy? Against evil, the evil ruler, the authority of the unseen world, against mighty power? <laughs> I'm trying to make a point here. It's not really working. But there's S's on the end of all those words. So far, we've only talked about the devil, singular, What's going on here? Rulers, authorities, powers? You mean there's more things at work, right? Yeah. Listen, I think I used to think 
that the spiritual world was pretty simple. That there was God and his angels and Satan and his demons, right? So one or the other, there was no in between, good and evil. So when somebody would ask if I believed in ghosts, where do they fit, right? Evil, it must be evil. If they're demons, then sure, right? But this shows us it's just not quite that simple. In fact, I think if somebody tells you they know all there is to know about the spiritual world, they're just, that's not, come on, (laughs) right? It's not, don't trust it. It is simple in the sense that it is good and evil, let me make that clear. But God mentions a lot of beings and forces in the Bible, Actually, it's definitely not just simply angels and demons, okay? The supernatural world is real and complex. So there's a story, for example, in 1 Samuel. Super interesting story about King Saul disobeying God and going to a witch for help and a dead man for information. He went to the enemy's camp for help, literally. Okay, which means he had more faith in Satan than God, by the way. And he was a baptized in the Holy Spirit leader of Israel. And he went to the enemy for information. I want to read you some of this. 1 Samuel 28, we're going to skip to verse 5. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. And this is what going to the enemy camp does. Produces fear. We We asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. You may think that a little cruel, that God would refuse to answer him. But there comes a point when you refuse to listen. When God sort of seems to say, why am I still talking? If you're not listening, why am I talking? Right? And some of us, we've been, because I get these questions a lot. God isn't speaking anymore like he was at the beginning. What's, what's going on? Why, why, isn't he, why can't I hear him anymore? Well, have you done the last thing he asked you to do? <laughs> Go back to that and obey it. <laughs> Maybe he's waiting for you to be obedient before he's going to give you more instructions. Right? Here we have Saul over and over disobeying. Sometimes it seems like very little instructions. But he's disobeying God. He's showing God with his actions that he doesn't trust his word anymore. And so why would God continue to speak if you're not going to listen? Verse 7, Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. There's a medium at Endor. So we're going to skip down to verse 14. He goes to this medium and she calls Samuel, the prophet that Saul was so used to getting information from. She calls him up. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she says. And she realizes it was Samuel. Listen to what Samuel, the ghost, says. (laughs) Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Saul replies, because I'm in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. He's not accepting God's natural limitations on life. Do you see this? He's skirting God. He's going around God to get this information. But Samuel replies, why ask me since the Lord has left you and become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you 
and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. Dun, dun, dun. That's like an ominous statement in the Bible. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. So there is precedent in the Bible for ghosts as we think of them today. Super interesting. And real mediums certainly do seem to have access to them. I used to think that this story was just a demon masquerading as a ghost. But this passage doesn't say that. It doesn't really answer it, but it doesn't really say that either. And what's more, a demon wouldn't reprimand Saul like Samuel did. <laughs> that is what Samuel would say. He reprimanded Saul a lot before his death. He warned him constantly. Samuel would absolutely say those things. However, just because they exist does not mean you are to go to them for information. Just because they exist does not mean you should go to them for information. It is detestable to the Lord to go to ghosts or mediums for information. I'm proving this to you. Remember, all the scripture, I want you to see it. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 10 says, do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. The reason, you can leave that up for a moment as well. I want you to actually go back a verse. I want you to see the list. not all on the screen. Okay. The reason that going to the enemy's camp for information is detestable to the Lord is the enemy only wants to do three things. Remember what they are? Only those three things. Kill, steal, and destroy are his goals in life, right? Why go to him when you know the life giver? one who wants to give you life, add to your life, the one who's given you every good thing, who wants to bless you and not curse you, lavish his love upon you, not destroy you. Saul went to the enemy's camp for info because God wasn't answering. God wasn't answering because he was disobedient multiple times over. Obedience is your number one defense against the enemy. Simple everyday, normal obedience, things that don't seem like they should matter for anything. <laughs> That's your best defense against the enemy, period. Simple obedience. Because yes, the enemy has information. Right? He, he's been around a lot longer than we have. Satan has existed far longer than my 35 years. Right? He's got information. He knows human nature. He understands some things in the spiritual world more than I do. So yes, he has information. And yes, he will give it to you if you ask. But it will be carefully packaged in a way that will steal from you, kill you, or destroy you ultimately. Why go to him? Why? God's point of view sets us free, even if he's not giving us all the information. Right? Right? The disciples up on the mountain and the Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. They wanted to know, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to come, but you're going to set everything right. You're going to set up your kingdom and we're going to be rock stars in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, guys, that's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. 
God sets those dates and times. It's not for you to know. So there are things that God knows that he's not going to tell us. Can you trust that and be okay with that? Because in it, there is freedom. You don't have to know it all. It's freeing. I don't have to be in control all the time. That's freeing (laughs) because God is, right? And if he chooses not to tell me, I trust that it's for a good reason. I'm not going to go around him to get information because Satan's point of view puts me in bondage. Wants to ultimately kill me, steal from me, or destroy me. God gives freedom. I trust him with that. There's another story, though, that makes the spiritual world seem even more complex and it's found in Daniel 10. Daniel is this guy who is existing in a world that is largely not supportive of God. And by largely, I mean like everyone but him, basically, is not worshiping God. They're worshiping all kinds of idols and things. And Daniel is fasting. 21 days he fasts trying to get clarity on something. Toward the end of that fast, there is an angel that shows up. And I want you to see what he says. Daniel 10, verse 12. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. God is saying, I heard you. I heard you day one when you started to pray. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. The spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked an angel's way, right? Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, and for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Here we see not just the devil, but a principality. This is a principality, so it affects geographical regions. It's almost a government setup. The enemy is organized and he affects geographical regions, people groups, and bloodlines. It's complex is what I'm trying to say, right? It's bigger than you thought it was. 21 days it took an angel of the Lord to get through the ranks and to get the prayer answered. Daniel existed in this place and time where he was very alone in his worship of God. The principality was strong there. It was a whole government and structure set up within the enemy. This is why it's harder to break certain things than others. Okay? This is what I was talking about in the beginning. It's not always you. Sometimes it's a setup. It is set against you. Right? It's not only the enemy's camp that is complex, though. It's also God's. Isaiah 6, and all of these are in the sermon notes as well. I don't have all of them on the screen because we'd be here all day. But Isaiah 6 describes seraphim, which have six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, two that they flew with. Complex beings, right? Genesis 3 describes cherubim on the east side of the Garden of Eden. Revelation 10 describes a mighty angel coming down from heaven who's clothed in a cloud and and rainbow above his head and his face shone like the sun and his legs are like fiery pillars and he has one leg on the sea and one leg on the land. He's this huge thing. There are, are more complex beings out there than just, you know, the baby angel with wings in the paintings. It's... It's more complex than you think. For anyone to say they have all the answers, they just, it's not, they they don't. (laughs) They can't possibly. Colossians 1. 
verse 15 and 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So if you thought you had to be scared of any of these things, you don't. Supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything and in the heavenly realms and on earth. When the Bible says heavenly realms like this, it's not talking about heaven necessarily, right? It's the realms that we cannot see. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Are you getting this picture yet? In addition to ghosts, seraphim, cherubim, princes, kings, kingdoms, there are thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, all that we cannot see. The spiritual world has a vast authority structure. There's a chain of command. There's a hierarchy. It's important for us to know because sometimes our success or failure depends on how we interact with it. There's another interesting story in the book of Jude. It's talking about godless men slandering celestial beings. Verse 9, Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 9 says, But even Michael, one of the mightiest angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even the archangel Michael didn't slander the devil. This suggests that if he would have, he would have lost his position of authority somehow. Like, can an, ar- an archangel not even say anything to the devil, right? You would think, but apparently not. That there is a way to interact with the supernatural world that will either empower you or cause you to lose your power. Which brings me to number three. I, I don't preach all of this to make you question everything, okay? To, to make you worry about having to suddenly now I have to classify everything before I... No, not necessarily. In fact, instead of worrying so much about what's what, the Bible is very clear about what we are to do. And that is just to suit up. Okay, we're suiting up. You don't have to, you know, is this the enemy? Is this the flesh? Is it a principality? What do I need to declare and cast out? Um, there are people that can help. Mike and Jody have gotten so, much, so into this over the past year. There are people that can help you discern those things, absolutely, if you need it. But in general, the general prescription for all of us is suit up. Get ready. And we're going to talk about the armor of God over the next six weeks and talk about how to put on that armor of God. Not some of it, all of it. In depth, we're going to look at what that actually means because where you're, wherever you're unclothed, you're uncovered. Right? The, the, the enemy isn't necessarily looking for you to have everything on. He's just looking for the one place you're uncovered. That's where he can get you, okay? So over the next six weeks, we're going to go into depth of what that looks like, how to protect yourself, what your offensive weapons are. Before we get there, though, I do want to lay out just a couple of guidelines about dealing with this supernatural world, some do's and don'ts, because just basics, because we're going to get into, into the details of this over the next couple of weeks. But all of this is well and good biblical information, but what does it mean to my everyday life, Right? How do I, how should this change how I'm interacting with things? Some things we're going to go over in this series. First of all, we don't operate on someone else's power. You have to know your own power. Meaning you better have a relationship with Christ if you're going to come after this stuff. 
I, I think I had this conversation with you guys. You already knew it. But when we first started talking about deliverance and casting things out, I was like, you all better have your, <laughs> you better have your armor on. You better have your, your life right. And by that, I mean righteous. Have your stuff dealt with before you go in dealing with this stuff. Right? You better be prepared. Acts 19, for example, and again, I want you to see this actually from the word. <clears throat> a group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. Not Christians, a group of Jews. <clears throat> they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. We're not using incantations here. So a lot of people that want to come after the spiritual world and use incantations. This is real. <laughs> it's not just a bunch of words strung together. You better have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're operating on his authority, not your own. Okay? They use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, not who we preach, who Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, leading priests, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Who the heck are you? Right? And the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house naked and battered. <clears throat> These guys didn't know Jesus. They tried to use his name to gain power. That is not how this works. The yes, the name of Jesus has power, right? But it's not meant to be used in vain. I actually think this is a little bit more, you know, we come down on our kids and stuff for saying, oh my God, and, and things like that. I think this is more using his name in vain, right? Using his name when you don't know him. Using his name to manipulate situations and to gain power over people you don't have. That's not the way it's meant to be used. They deserve to get a beating like that. And the evangelist, Johannes Amritzer, who, by the way, is coming again. Not till March, probably, but he's coming. Uh... He's just had such a profound impact on my life, his teachings and his ministry and all of it. But he once told me that demons can recognize your revelation of who Jesus is. Demons can recognize your revelation of who Jesus is. Meaning there is a way to see Jesus incorrectly. There is a way to see him but not know him. In fact, I see a lot of believers... They like Jesus. They're fond of him. They're, they're fans. They like hearing the sermons on Sundays. They, they enjoy hearing his teachings. They feel good about themselves leaving church, but they don't know him. They don't know him. They're not in the word. They're not breathing in the word. They're not living off of it. Trying to understand who he was, getting close to him, talking to him, hearing from him. These are... These are the basics. But so many believers aren't there. If you don't know him, you better not be using his name. It's more dangerous. Right? We're also going to talk about the recognizing the hierarchy in this series. So we don't go after a prince or a kingdom of demons when we're all by ourselves. This is why we preach unity in churches. It's for a reason. It's real and it's important. 
You're not alone in this. We are a family, a body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not meant to be out there alone. And it's why being outside of a church body is a little dangerous as a believer. Because you're more susceptible to attack. Unity is powerful in God's kingdom. When we are not unified, we're unclothed, essentially. We're susceptible. Johannes is another great example of this, actually. He built this army around him, and he walks it in authority of that. He's, he's got these Africa um, crusades, right? They go around the whole continent of Africa, and they preach the gospel. But before they do that, they have a whole team of people come in early. They're praying over the city, right? They're building relationships. I mean, months before a crusade, they're preparing, years probably, they're preparing for this, right? They break down those walls together with unity because they are self-controlled faithful Jesus followers who know their authority and walk in it. They don't go after a whole city, a whole principality by themselves. There's a structure to this, right? It's kind of like if my eight-year-old, who's a big kid, but if my eight-year-old goes up to threaten a grown man physically to a fight, a grown man might look at him and say, yeah, man, you're big, but like not that big. <laughs> I'm still a, gr- a whole person, a whole adult, <laughs> I'm a grown man. You look strong, but what are you going to do alone? If he has a group of kids with him, though, a grown man might be a little, you know, I don't want to beat a whole group of kids. <laughs> might start to think twice, but probably still not. But if crew, my, my eight-year-old, if he says, you know what, my dad is coming. <sighs> Suddenly the grown man is starting to question his decisions a little bit. And certainly once they see Aaron and the look in his eyes for threatening his son... <laughs> He's definitely going to apologize and walk the other way, right? We're not doing this on our own because there are real enemies out there who want to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. And they've been around longer. than They know a thing or two, okay? We go, don't get me wrong. Again, we have power, but in the proper order that Jesus taught us, we have power. We come after these things knowing that we have the big guy behind us. Jesus is over my shoulder saying, you better watch who you're messing with, right? So I have the authority to say, come at me, bro, because he's behind me, not because I'm all by myself. Does that make sense? I know you're all out there saying, come at me, bro, to the demons, but (laughs) there are even instances in the New Testament of the disciples trying to cast out demons and Jesus saying, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting, So Jesus recognized that there are different kinds and they have different objectives and rights even. Just another thing I hope to get into a little bit. There are almost legal rights that the enemy can have over you. You give him a foothold, right? We sort of use more modern language like legal rights, but the, the Bible talks about footholds and strongholds, right? Satan has these over you because you gave it to him. They have rights to be there, so they have to be cast out differently. Prayer and fasting, submitting yourself to the lordship of Christ, which I know is a sort of churchy thing to say, but submitting yourself to the lordship of Christ means that you recognize he is the boss and you aren't, and you actually live that way. (laughs) Submit to him right? That is how you break those chains. Prayer and fasting do that. 
We're going to talk about not confronting those spiritual strongholds if you aren't right yourself. By that I mean obedient yourself. Holy. Righteous. You do not do that on your own. You do that with Jesus. Jesus makes you holy. Jesus makes you righteous. There's a way to repent and forgive and be forgiven. I mean, we call it salvation, but it's something we do daily with him, right? God, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Help me figure out how to be better, how to to turn from my wicked ways and actually submit to you, right? That is true repentance. It's not just saying, yeah, I'll say I'm sorry for it later. It's not repentance. Turn from the wicked ways. Be obedient yourself. Change your life. Don't confront those spiritual strongholds. For example, don't try to cast off a spirit of lying from someone if you're a liar. That spirit will come on you and give you a beating. Right? Demons can recognize those things within you. If you have a sexual sin problem... Don't try going to cast off a demon having to do with sexual sin. It will literally laugh at you, right? Seriously, they will taunt you. How dare you? (laughs) You're in it with me, right? It will literally laugh at you. We're going to talk about covering your home with prayer and anointing, how to anoint your doorways and take communion in your own home with your family and worship and pray and use the word of God to combat the enemy, take control of that fear and anxiety and depression, all of those spirits that come on a household. We're going to go into depth about how to do that. Aaron and I call it the spiritual warfare 101 talk. Here's just the basics. Here's what you do, how to take control in your own home. Sometimes people come to us and they'll say, you know, can you come to my house and like cleanse it? Like I see in the ghost shows, you know, can you come and cleanse it? Like I've seen in the movies and yeah, sure I would, but what happens when I leave? I'm not putting a blessing on a house and it necessarily stays there if you're going to continue your life. I'll put it this way. Have you ever seen the show Hoarders? It's somewhat like this, spiritually speaking. Hoarders, that show is stressful to watch for me. Stuff everywhere, right? They hire a company, they come in and clean it, get all the rats out, for example, all the dead cats, and there's always dead cats. (laughs) You know, rats and whatever in the house. No more than, they always do those at the very end. They do the flashbacks, right? Or they come back around to that person. In the three months that followed, there's rats again. (laughs) Dead cats again, right? So me coming in and cleansing a house will do something temporarily, maybe. But those rats are coming right back in a month or less, guaranteed, if you don't also clean up. So I would rather teach you how to do this, how to change and live your life, correctly, how how to declare the name of Jesus in your house, how to anoint it, how to, um, it's Christianity 101, (laughs) claim the power of Jesus in your home than to just do it myself and have it all come back worse. Sometimes they come back worse. They get seven other friends and they come back. So I'm doing more harm by not teaching you how to do it yourself, right? So if you're asking me for help, get ready to suit up. That's all I'm saying. Okay, we're going to talk about that in depth. We're going to talk about repenting and renouncing, like 
getting rid of the things once and for all in your life, turning from the wicked ways and submitting to God because your biggest and best weapons against the unseeable evil in this world, it's not hanging up crosses in your house or wearing Christian t-shirts or just listening to Christian music. I see that a lot too. Well, I play worship music in my kitchen all the time. Okay, but what's going on in here? Your thought life is way more important than what music you're playing. Are you listening to it? Are you singing those words? Do you mean them? (laughs) There's a way to just make it an incantation that has no power. All right, but your biggest weapons are also things you cannot see. Did I make that point clear enough? It's not hanging crosses on your walls. In the horror movies, they're always turned upside down and messed with. (laughs) Don't tell me you haven't seen those movies. They're messed with anyway. It's just a block of wood if you don't believe in it. It's what's going on in here that is your best weapon against all of this. Repentance. Maybe the biggest spiritual weapon. So powerful to recognize when you've chosen wrong, chosen selfishly, chosen sin, and then you choose instead to say you're sorry and turn and stop and change. Like, powerful, powerful. Forgiveness. I cannot tell you how I have seen people's lives changed with forgiveness. I know people in this church sitting in this room who have been healed inside and out physically by forgiving people spiritually. Right? Greg Waldy usually sits right down here. Right? He, he tells the story. We have it on our YouTube and on our website. It's very public knowledge. He tells the story of having bone cancer everywhere all over his body. I mean, he was going to die soon. We're now five, six years later. <laughs> He's still alive, still attends this church. He sits up front almost every Sunday morning, praising his heart out because he forgave. I was like the final straw of, of sickness in his life. He tells the story. He forgave people. Bitterness can be one of those strongholds, one of those legal rights for spirits to mess with you for the enemy to mess with you. It's giving him a right to do so. He basically sets up camp there and invites his friends when you choose to stay bitter. Stubbornness is another one of these. And I I actually believe there is a spirit of stubbornness over this particular area. We like to be stubborn. We brag about it. Yeah, I know I'm stubborn. I just, that's the way I was raised. And it's a whole culture. The Bible actually says stubbornness is as bad as witchcraft. It uses those words. I struggled with that for a while. Like, God, what on earth could that possibly mean? I realized eventually that witchcraft is essentially forcing others to do what you want them to do, right? It's manipulation. Planting yourself so firmly, refusing to think about another, another's point of view, making them come around to you. Does that not sound a lot like stubbornness? <laughs> We are to renew our minds, right? Keep ourselves, our hearts soft, flexible, pliable for the Holy Spirit to speak into it. Forgiveness is just, it's one of those things that makes your heart soft again. You've been forgiven of so much. Jesus forgave you. Think about all the things Jesus has forgiven you about, forgiven you for in the past week alone. Don't look at me like that. I know it's been like a week. You have a list because I do, right? We're human. That's what happens. 
Uh, God, so many things. God, this week, forgive me. Forgive me. And when I forgive, let me also forgive others. Wasn't that in the Lord's prayer? Forgive my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. Obedience is another one of these weapons you cannot see, but is so powerful. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about practically what that looks like, how to be obedient by putting on the armor of God, by forgiving and repenting and renewing your mind and guarding your heart and walking in peace. So excited. Because all of this is about peace, guys. The goal here is peace. The Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding, meaning the storm is raging, the boat is rocking, but I'm cool, right? Peace that doesn't make any sense. Peace in the face of the storm, not in the absence of it. Peace. So many of us are tormented, tormented by anger, by uh, chronic frustration or anxiety or depression. It's fear. Most of it is fear. There's so much fear. If we're really honest about what's going on underneath all of the anger, all of the bitterness, all of the depression, it's fear. We haven't trusted God. Look, there is hope. And that's where I'm ending today because there's already so much that I've thrown at you. But there is hope. Jesus is your hope. He has given us a way to deal with all of these things. If you've opened doors to the enemy, if you've allowed him in, in some area, today's your day. Repent. We're going to start getting the wheels turning today and getting you thinking about ways that you may have opened yourself up to some torment from the enemy. Some of us, very simply though, we just need to repent. I just need to say, God, I've been wrong. Maybe you've been contacting some sources other than God for information, a medium, a palm reader, even a horoscope. You know, maybe you've gotten some information that even turned out to be true from that. But here's the deal with that stuff. There is power there. There is information in the enemy's camp. King Saul did talk to the ghost of Samuel. He did learn something from Samuel, but he became detestable to the Lord and died in that very battle. Right? Adam and Eve did eat from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They did gain knowledge, right? They could see things they never saw before. They suddenly realized that they were naked. That was a truth that they didn't see before. They did gain knowledge, but the twist that came with that knowledge was fear, hardship, and ultimately death. God never intended for them to feel that fear. They opened a door to a world that existed and was real, but wasn't good or necessary for them. By opening a door to the enemy's camp, they opened a door to torment in their life. Did they see more and understand more than before? Yes, they were naked. Did King Saul get to talk to a dead prophet? Yes. The same happens when we seek knowledge from Satan. He has information, but he twists it have your palm read, ask a medium for advice, open a chakra point or your third eye or empty your mind with Eastern meditation, but understand that you are seeking information from Satan, something other than God, and it is detestable to the Lord. The info you gain will be a torment. It will lead you down a road of torment. Not all knowledge is for us to know. There are lots of opportunities for us to open doors to the enemy's camp in this world. I didn't even scratch the surface today. 
There are even some that are worse for some of us than others. Remember bloodlines. Generational curses are real. Some of us are walking around with generational curses over our lives that make certain things that are fine for some not okay for us. Total trap. Drinking, for example. Total trap for some, not a second thought for someone else. Right? Um, Unfortunately, some of those things have more to do with other people's sin than your own. Because generational curses are real. They can pass to the third or fourth generation, the Bible says. You know, those things like horror movies. I joked about it, but for some, it brings very real fear. I can't always explain all of that. Sometimes it's because you've meddled with the occult a little in the past. Right? You've brought some of that in on your life, and now you shouldn't be watching stuff about it. For others, it, it doesn't mess with them at all. Right, so this stuff is real. Um, Halloween is coming up. This is another big one for Christians. Do I engage with Halloween or not? It's a trap for some. Again, maybe if you've experimented with the occult, you have some of it in your family, whatever. It can be a very real trap for some of us. For others, it's a commercial, fun, candy, like it's nothing, right? I call these fences, Okay, Uh, The word of God puts fences around certain things very clearly. We read the scripture, Deuteronomy, right? Divination, sorcery, interpreting omens, witchcraft, casting spells, consulting the dead. These are biblical fences. Meaning God put a fence around it and said, danger, warning. There's something not for you here, right? If you put more fences around those things for your own safety, so you don't even get close, because you know you're susceptible, fine. Just don't put that on other people, right? There, other people may have completely different struggles than you, inclinations, things they were born with or saw happening in their family growing up, whatever it is. You can put fences, extra fences around for you, but know that the Bible's fences are real and teach the real ones to your kids, by the way. teach the ones you put around. I mean, you can tell them why you put extra fences around things, but teach them the real ones because this is a side note, but it's on my heart today. What I've seen Christian parents do in the past is put extra fences around them and say, oh, this is evil. This is evil. The Bible didn't say that Smurfs are evil. Just using that as an example because we weren't allowed to watch Smurfs growing up. (laughs) Good magic. I don't know why. Um, some people, you know, Pokemon, Harry Potter, all these things. <laughs> There's a difference, and I teach the J-Hires this too. There's a difference between fantasy and reality. God gave us imaginations. I believe my kids are smart enough to know the difference. I can teach them that magic, witchcraft, is wrong and evil. The Bible says so. That's the biblical fence. But to put more on them makes them curious because they see other people doing it and not getting hurt. Okay? So they jump the fence. Nothing happened. Maybe I can jump the Bible fence too, right? This is the danger with the extra fences. Put them on for yourself, but be honest with what they are. Biblical fences are real. (laughs) Dangerous. There is danger there. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. I want you to see this and we're going to end here. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. 
if God changes their hearts and they learn the truth. There's two parts to this. God has to convict you. God has to help you change your heart. But you also have to learn the truth and come to your senses. Escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And I'm going to ask you just to keep that verse on the screen. What we've done here so far today is learn truth together. If you've opened some doors to the enemy's camp, I have good news for you. You can escape the devil's trap very simply put in these verses how to do that. You've learned, we've learned truth together. Now allow God to change your heart. Convict you. Bring you to repentance. There is so much freedom on the other side. We don't have to feel fear. We don't have to. We don't have to walk in that every day. We get to escape from the devil's trap. And we're going to learn more about how to do that over the next six weeks. But today, I just want to make space and availability to repent and to get free. Can we do that together? Let's bow our heads. Father, today we just humble our hearts before you. God, let each and every person in this room look inward today and honestly evaluate, where have I given the enemy a foothold? Where have I given him the right to come in and mess with me? Where have I not been obedient? Where where have I sought information outside of God? Where have I held on to things I shouldn't be, allowed bitterness to take a foothold? Where am I unforgiving of the people around me? Heads bowed and eyes still closed. I have conversations a lot with people struggling with forgiveness because you just don't know what they did to me. It's not okay. And, And if I forgive them, that makes it okay, right? No. okay what they did. They don't deserve to be forgiven, but forgiveness isn't earned. Forgiveness is always and only a gift. You don't deserve forgiveness from your heavenly father either. I don't. Jesus gave it. It is a gift. There's nothing I can do to earn it, in fact, because he gave it as a gift and I will never be worthy enough to earn it. Jesus was the only human being to walk this earth to deserve his father's love. And I'm not him. Forgiveness is a gift only and always. So when I'm asking you to forgive, I know it's a lot people do horrible things to each other and they don't deserve it. Of course they don't. Forgiveness is a gift. It is given. Because Jesus forgave you of so much, you can. You can forgive. I'm not saying you have to allow that person back in your life. You have to open up all your boundaries. Not at all. Trust is earned. And they're two different things. Forgiveness does not equal trust. I wasn't planning to go into that today, but I think somebody needs to hear it. Forgiveness is so powerful. Forgive today. Repent for holding on to that thing. 
choose repentance, choose to turn away. I'm going to call the prayer team up now. If you guys can just come and make yourselves available. Sometimes it helps to do this with another person, (laughs) to confess your sins, to talk about it with someone, to have them help you walk through what it means to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Okay, so they're available here at the front. Please come utilize them at any point. They are happy to pray with you. And these guys have experience here, guys. They know what they're doing. And by that, I mean they've overcome a thing or two themselves. That is where the anointing comes, by the way. When you overcome something, you're then anointed to help others to do so. Some of these guys have overcome sexual sin. Some of them have overcome drinking in their own lives or lying or unforgiveness in their own lives, right? They know a thing or two about walking with Jesus, and they want to help you learn that too. And we're going to give some space to ask for that prayer. But as we do that, I still want heads bowed and eyes closed. Just take a a moment look inward. What is the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart? Maybe it's something I didn't even touch on today. You've done something, you've experienced something, you just can't get over. Give it to Jesus today. Give it to Jesus. You can trust him with it. He's already conquered it, in fact. Right? We're not... applying for this. He's already done it. All you have to do is tap into it. Say, Jesus, I believe. And I forgive. If you're in the house today and you're saying, I've never actually given my life to Jesus, like I've never said, Jesus, come. I believe in you. I accept your forgiveness in my life and I'm choosing to live my life your way from today forward. If that's you and you're saying this is the first time or maybe it's been a really long time and I I need to rededicate myself, would you just slip your hand up right where you are, nice and high? I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to get free. Thank you. Keep that hand raised just until an usher gives you a little card. Some more information. Anybody else? If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. Say, I'm in. I'm into following Jesus. It is the first step in getting free. Just asking Jesus for freedom. He wants to give it to you. Anybody else before I move on? Maybe today you're saying, I I know I need to repent of some things. Not quite. Maybe you're not ready to pray about it yet, or you're going to come up after service or whatever, but would you just raise your hand? I know I need to ask God for forgiveness. I need to repent you. I'd like to pray for you before we end today. Father, thank you so much for the freedom you're going to bring with this series. Thank you for the peace, the overwhelming peace and joy that comes with just being free, with being truthful and open and out in the light of Jesus. God, I pray for each and every hand raised, for each and every person in this room, that you would just open hearts and minds, soften us, Help us forgive, help us repent, help us be obedient, help us suit up and get ready for battle. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.